Section eight from Wilderness Ways. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. Wilderness Ways by William J. Long. Chapter seven. Upwekus the Shadow. Part one. Long go, oh long time go, so says Simo the Indian. Upwekus the lynx came to Clote Scarpway one day with a complaint. See, he said, you are good to everybody but me. Pequam the fisher is cunning and patient. He can catch what he will. Lokes the panther is strong and tireless. Nothing can get away from him, not even great moose. And Mooween the bear sleeps all winter, when game is scarce, and in summer eats everything, roots and mice and berries and dead fish and meat and honey and red ants. So he is always full and happy. But my eyes are no good. They are bright like Chapaglin the eagles, yet they cannot see anything unless it moves. For you have made every creature that hides just like the place he hides in my nose is worse it cannot smell sagsagadaji the grouse though i walk over him asleep in the snow and my feet make a noise in the leaves so that moktaques the rabbit hears me and hides and laughs behind me when i go to catch him and i am always hungry make me now like the shadows that play in order that nothing may notice me when i go hunting so clote scarpe the great chief who was kind to all animals gave upwekus a soft gray coat that is almost invisible in the woods summer or winter and made his feet large and padded them with soft fur so that indeed he is like the shadows that play for you can neither see him nor hear him but clote scarpe remembered moktaques the rabbit also and gave him two coats a brown one for summer and a white one for winter consequently he is harder than ever to see when he is quiet and upwekus must still depend upon his wits to catch him as upwekus has few wits to spare moktaques often sees him close at hand and chuckles in his form under the brown ferns or sits up straight under the snow-covered hemlock tips and watches the big lynx at his hunting sometimes on a winter night when you camp in the wilderness and the snow is sifting down into your fire and the woods are all still a fierce screech breaks suddenly out of the darkness just behind your windbreak of boughs you jump to your feet and grab your rifle but simo who was down on his knees before the fire frying pork only turns his head to listen a moment and says up we catch catchin rabbit that time then he gets closer to the fire for the screech was not pleasant and goes on with his cooking you are more curious than he or you want the big cat's skin to take home with you you steal away towards the cry past the little kamusi or shelter that you made hastily at sundown when the trail ended there with your back to the fire and the kamusi between the light does not dazzle your eyes you can trace the shadows creeping in and out stealthily among the underbrush but if upwekus is there and he probably is you do not see him he is a shadow among the shadows only there is this difference shadows move no bushes as you watch a fur tip stirs a bit of snow drops down you gaze intently at the spot then out of the deep shadow two living coals are suddenly kindled they grow larger and larger glowing flashing burning holes into your eyes till you brush them swiftly with your hand 
a shiver runs over you for to look into the eyes of a lynx at night when the light catches them is a scary experience your rifle jumps to position the glowing coals are quenched on the instant then when your eyes have blinked the fascination out of them the shadows go creeping in and out again and upweekis is lost amongst them sometimes indeed you see him again mctaquais the big white hare who forgets a thing the moment it is past sees you standing there and is full of curiosity he forgets that he was being hunted a moment ago and comes hopping along to see what you are you back away toward the fire he scampers off in a fright but presently comes hopping after you watch the underbrush behind him sharply in a moment it stirs stealthily as if a shadow were moving it and there is the lynx stealing along in the snow with his eyes blazing again moktaques feels that he is hunted and he does the only safe thing he crouches low in the snow where a fur tip bends over him and is still as the earth his color hides him perfectly upwickus has lost the trail again he wavers back and forth like a shadow under a swinging lamp turning his great head from side to side he cannot see nor hear nor smell his game but he saw a bit of snow fly a moment ago and knows that it came from moktaques big pads don't stir now be still as the great spruce in the shadow you stand and once in a hunter's lifetime perhaps you will see a curious tragedy the lynx settles himself in the snow with all four feet close together ready for a spring as you watch and wonder a screech rings out through the woods, so sharp and fierce that no rabbit's nerves can stand it close at hand and be still. Moktaques jumps straight up in the air. The lynx sees it, whirls, hurls himself at the spot. Another screech, a different one, and then you know that it's all over. And that is why Upweekis' cry is so fierce and sudden on a winter night. Your fire attracts the rabbits. Upweekis knows this, or is perhaps attracted himself, and comes also, and hides among the shadows. But he never catches anything unless he blunders into it. That is why he wanders so much in winter, and passes twenty rabbits before he catches one. So when he knows that Moktaques is near, watching the light, but remaining himself invisible, Upweekis crouches for a spring. Then he screeches fearfully. Moktaques hears it and is startled, as anyone else would be, hearing such a cry near him. He jumps in a fright and pays the penalty. If the lynx is a big one, and very hungry, as he generally is in the winter, you may get some unpleasant impressions of him in another way when you venture far from your fire. His eyes blaze out at you from the darkness, just two big glowing spots which are all you see and which disappear at your first motion. Then, as you strain your eyes and watch and listen, you feel the coals upon you from another place, and there they are, under a brush on your left, creeping closer and blazing deep red. They disappear suddenly as the lynx turns his head, only to reappear and fascinate you from another point. So he plays you as if you were a great mouse, creeping closer all the time, swishing his stub tail fiercely to lash himself up to the courage point of springing. But his movements are so still and shadowy that unless he follows you as you back away to the fire, and so comes within the circle of light, the chances are that you will never see him. Indeed, the chances are always that way, day or night, unless you turn hunter, 
and set a trap for him in the rabbit paths which he follows nightly and hang a bait over it to make him look up and forget his steps in summer he goes to the burned lands for the rabbits that swarm in the thickets and to rear his young in seclusion you find his tracks there all about and the marks of his killing but though you watch and prowl all day and come home in the twilight you will learn little he hears you and skulks away amid the lights and shadows of the hillside and so hides himself in plain sight sometimes like a young partridge that he manages to keep a clean record in the notebook where you hope to write down all about him in winter you cross his tracks great round tracks that wander everywhere through the big woods and you think now i shall find him surely but though you follow for miles and learn much about him finding where he passed this rabbit close at hand without suspecting it and caught that one by accident and missed the partridge that burst out of the snow under his very feet still upweekis himself remains only a shadow in the woods once after a glorious long tramp on his trail i found the spot where he had been sleeping a moment before but beside that experience i must put fifty other trails that i have followed of which i never saw the end nor the beginning and whenever i have found out anything about upweekis it has generally come unexpectedly as most good things do once the chance came as i was watching a muskrat at his supper it was twilight in the woods i had drifted in close to shore in my canoe to see what musquash was doing on top of a rock all muskrats have favorite eating places a rock a stranded log a tree ball that leans out over the water and always a pretty spot whether they bring food from a distance evidently for the purpose of eating it where they feel most at home this one had gathered a half dozen big freshwater clams onto his dining table and sat down in the midst to enjoy the feast he would take a clam in his forepaws whack it a few times on the rock till the shell cracked then open it with his teeth and devour the morsel inside he ate leisurely tasting each clam critically before swallowing and sitting up often to wash his whiskers or to look out over the lake a hermit thrush sang marvelously sweet above him the twilight colors glowed deep and deeper in the water below where his shadow was clearly eating clams also in the midst of heaven's splendor altogether a pretty scene and a moment of peace that i still love to remember i quite forgot that musquash is a villain but the tragedy was near as it always is in the wilderness suddenly a movement caught my eye on the bank above something was waving nervously under the bushes before i could make out what it was there was a fearful rush a gleam of wild yellow eyes a squeak from the muskrat then upweekis looking gaunt and dark and strange in his summer coat was crouched on the rock with musquash between his great paws growling fiercely as he cracked the bones he bit his game all over to make sure that it was quite dead then took it by the back of the neck glided into the bushes with his stub tail twitching and became a shadow again another time i was perched up in a lodged tree some twenty feet from the ground watching a big bait of fish which i had put in an open spot for anything that might choose to come and get it i was hoping for a bear and so climbed above the ground that he might not get my scent should he come from leeward it was early autumn and my intentions were wholly peaceable i had no weapon of any kind late in the afternoon something took to chasing a red squirrel near me i heard them scurrying through the trees but could see nothing the chase passed out of hearing and i had almost forgotten it for something was moving in the underbrush near my bait when back it came with a rush the squirrel half dead with fright 
leaped from a spruce tip to the ground, jumped onto the tree in which I sat, and raced up the incline, almost to my feet, where he sprang to a branch and sat chattering hysterically between two fears. After him came a pine marten, following swiftly, catching the scent of his game, not from the bark or the ground, but apparently from the air. Scarcely had he jumped upon my tree when there was a screech and a rush in the underbrush just below him, and out of the bushes came a young lynx to join in the chase. He missed the marten on the ground, but sprang to my tree like a flash. I remember still that the only sound I was conscious of at the time was the ripping of his nails in the dead bark. He had been seeking my bait, undoubtedly, for it was good lynx country, and Apuicus loves fish like a cat when the chase passed under his nose, and he joined it on the instant. Halfway up the incline the marten smelled me, or was terrified by the noise behind him, and leaped aside. A branch upon which I was leaning swayed or snapped, and the lucivee stopped as if struck, crouching lower and lower against the tree, his big yellow expressionless eyes glaring straight into mine. A moment only he stood the steady look, then his eyes wavered, he turned his head, leaped for the underbrush and was gone. Another moment, and Miko the squirrel had forgotten his fright and peril and everything else save his curiosity to find out who I was, and all about me. He had to pass quite close to me to get to another tree, but anything was better than going back where the marten might be waiting. So he was presently over my head, snickering and barking to make me move, and scolding me soundly for disturbing the peace of the woods. In summer Upwekis is a solitary creature rearing his young away back on the wildest burned lands where game is plenty and where it is almost impossible to find him except by accident in winter also he roams alone for the most part but occasionally when rabbits are scarce as they are periodically in the northern woods he gathers in small bands for the purpose of pulling down big game that he would never attack singly generally upwekis is skulking and cowardly with man but when driven by hunger as i found out once or when hunting in bands, he is a savage beast, and must be followed cautiously. I had heard much of the fierceness of these hunting bands from settlers and hunters, and once a friend of mine, an old backwoodsman, had a narrow escape from them. He had a dog, Grip, a big brindled cur, of whose prowess in killing varmints he was always bragging, calling him the best lucifer dog in all of Canada. Lucifer, by the way, is a local name for the lynx on the upper St. John, where Grip and his master lived. One day in winter the master missed a young heifer and went on his trail, with Grip and his axe for companions. Presently he came to lynx tracks, then to signs of a struggle, then plump upon six or seven of the big cats, snarling savagely over the body of the heifer. Grip, the lucifer dog, rushed in blindly, and in two minutes was torn to ribbons. Then the lynxes came creeping and snarling towards the man, who backed away, shouting and swinging his axe. He killed one by a lucky blow as it sprang for his chest. The others drove him to his own door, but he would never have reached it, so he told me, but for a long strip of open land that he had cleared back into the woods. He would face and charge the beasts, which seemed more afraid of his voice than of the axe, then run desperately to keep them from circling and getting between him and safety. When he reached the open strip, they followed a little way along the edges of the underbrush, but returned one at a time when they were sure he had no further mind to disturb their feast or their fighting. It is curious that when Upwekis and his hunting pack pull down game in this way, the first thing they do 
is to fight over it. There may be meat enough and to spare, but under their fearful hunger, the old beastly instinct for each one to grab all for himself. So they fall promptly to teeth and claws before the game is dead. The fightings at such times are savage affairs, both to the eye and the ear. One forgets that Upweekis is a shadow, and thinks that he must be a fiend. One day in winter, when after caribou, I came upon a very large lynx track, the largest I had ever seen. It was two days old, but it led in my direction, toward the caribou barrens, and I followed it to see what I should see. Presently it joined four other lynx trails, and a mile farther on all five trails went forward in great flying leaps, each lynx leaving a hole in the snow as big as a bucket at every jump. A hundred yards of this kind of traveling, and the trails joined another trail, that of a wounded caribou from the barrens. His track showed that he had been traveling with great difficulty, on three legs. Here was a place where he had stood to listen, and there was another place where even untrained eyes might see that he had plunged forward with a start of fear. It was a silent story, but full of eager interest in every detail. The Lucivy tracks now showed different tactics. They crossed and crisscrossed the trail, appearing now in front, now behind, now on either side of the wounded bull, evidently closing in upon him warily. Here and there was a depression in the snow where one had crouched, growling as the game passed. Then the struggle began. First there was a trampled place in the snow, where the bull had taken a stand and the big cats went creeping about him, waiting for a chance to spring altogether. He broke away from that, but the three-legged gallop speedily exhausted him. Only when he trots is a caribou tireless. The lynxes followed. The deadly cat play began again. First one, then another leaped, only to be shaken off. Then two, then all five were upon the poor brute, which still struggled forward. The record was written red all over the snow. End of Section 8 Recording by Lawrence Trask Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com.